Welcome to the OBG podcast is designed for medical students that are on their OB-GYN clerkship. You guys know who I am by now. I'm Dr. Tanya Wright here to guide you guys through the educational topic objectives from APCO. You can follow along at www.apco.org backslash students. And today we have a familiar guest. This is Dr. Sarah Horvath. She's here to discuss with us educational topic number six, the legal and ethical issues in obstetrics and gynecology. There's also a chapter on this in the eighth edition of the Beckman and Ling textbook, so you can follow along there in chapter three. All right, Dr. Horvath, let's get started. So this is a 33-year-old G2P1 who is presenting to the office at 33 weeks pregnant. She's scheduled for her prenatal visit to discuss the mode of delivery. She has no problems to report today. A psychosocial history is significant only that her husband is a well-known baseball player. Her prior pregnancy resulted in a cesarean delivery with a transverse uterine incision. There were no complications associated with that delivery. Her physical exam reveals a normal blood pressure and weight today. Her fundal height and fetal position as well as her heart rate are unremarkable. Her diagnostic test results show a hemoglobin of 12, white blood cell count of 11, urinalysis that was negative for bacteria and leukocytes, and her UDS screen was negative. Dr. Horvath, what would you tell this patient regarding her options for delivery? Because this patient had a prior cesarean delivery that was otherwise uncomplicated with a transverse incision, she is a candidate for something called trial of labor after cesarean delivery, or what we call a TOLAC uh, in OBGYN. And that would hopefully result in a vaginal birth after cesarean delivery, which we refer to as a VBAC. The alternative to that is that she can just be scheduled for a repeat cesarean delivery. How does the underlying ethical principle of autonomy impact your counseling of this patient? So autonomy or self-determination really requires a respect for the patient's right to make her own decision. And the importance of, um, of autonomy is that you have a wealth of knowledge that the patient doesn't have. And so in order for her to actually exercise her autonomy, it's our responsibility to counsel her incredibly well on what both the benefits and the risks are of each option so that she can make a truly informed decision. Okay, what about the ethical principle of beneficence or non-maleficence? How would that impact your counseling for this patient? Beneficence or non-maleficence requires that the provider act in a way that will benefit the patient and not harm her. So the first part of that, beneficence, is benefiting the patient, and the non-maleficence is lack of harm. This principle can sometimes conflict with the principle of autonomy if the provider really believes that performing a repeat cesarean might harm the patient um, due to, say, hemorrhage or infection, but that's what the patient really wants. Alternatively, if what the patient really wants is a trial of labor after cesarean, but the provider has a reason to think that that's not safe, then there needs to be a really frank discussion around why the provider thinks that it would be harmful to perform one or the other of the options. But in the case where either option is pretty much equally on the table, really important to respect autonomy. So these different um, ethical principles really have to be balanced against one another. Got it. And then finally, the ethical principle of justice. How would that impact your counseling? 
justice requires that patients are treated equally and that the resources that are available are uh, divided equally amongst all patients. So the fact that a pa this patient's husband happens to be a well-known athlete really should not make an impact on how the patient is counseled, which decision the patient is allowed to make, um, or the date or timing of the cesarean delivery. In a more common scenario, uh, the type of insurance that a patient has, the race or geographic location of the patient, the age of the patient, these are all things that should not affect the way that she's counseled. Everybody should be given these uh, patients the same, every patient should be given these uh, options the same based on their medical history and not based on these other social and demographic factors. Exactly. Okay, so we hear a lot about informed consent and our role as physicians in providing informed consent or obtaining informed consent. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So you really need to um, establish a, a basis of trust with your patient um, first and foremost. And then you have to make sure that the patient is well informed, as we discussed before. Informed consent is not just a signature on a page. It's really truly making sure that the patient understands what her options are. Um, if she wants her partner or other family members or other folks to be involved in that decision, it's making sure that they also understand. It's explaining the options based on a health literacy level of the person that you are talking to. And so really tailoring the way that you talk about these things to the place where uh, the patient is able to achieve true understanding. And then um, under circumstances that are non-emergent, it's really important to make sure that the patient has a reasonable time frame to think about the information so that they can make a considered decision as well as an educated one. Finally, it's important to be open to questions from the patient, the patient's partner or family members, and to document the process as well as the decision. And again, this is something that you should start doing early on in the third trimester so that the patient can really go through all of, the, um, all of these steps um, more than once if they need to. With respect to counseling a patient on a cesarean or delivery mode options, what topics might be included in an informed consent? So the management of the labor and the associated risks should the patient choose to take the TOLAC option. The management of the cesarean delivery and its associated risks should they choose that option. And it's important to also take into account what this person's future fertility desires are because the risks of a second cesarean section are very different if you feel like you're going to have one more pregnancy and be done versus somebody who says, I want seven or eight more children. Um, there's a really big difference in what those risks are. So taking those things into account as well. The benefits and the alternatives of each of those two options. And then again, answering any questions that the patient, her partner, or her family may have. Dr. Horvath, once again, an awesome review with you covering this case on legal and ethical issues in OB-GYN. Thank you for your time. See you again soon. Sounds good.